Welcome to the Abstract Doctors Podcast. Today, Dr. G and Dr. C speak with former U.S. national field hockey player, national championship coach of field hockey at Princeton, and vice president of performance for WHOOP, Kristen Holmes. For more information on Kristen, please visit WHOOP.com. Visit the Abstract Doctors for information and upcoming podcasts. The Abstract Doctors Podcast. The doctors are in. Open up your mind and say ah. Good morning. Welcome to the Abstract Doctors with Dave Sifu and Ron Garbo. Today we have a great pleasure to uh, have a guest today, uh, Kristen Holmes. She's uh, currently Vice President of Performance Science at Whoop. Prior to that, an entrepreneur. And prior to that, uh, a teacher and a coach for uh, Princeton field hockey, where they had an amazing streak of only four losses in 13 years that included countless team champion uh, league championships and a, a national title in division one. So welcome, uh, Kristen. Great to meet you and speak with you. It's great to be here. So uh, um, your, your company is uh, making a lot of waves in the wearable technology world. And I'm excited uh, to hear, see and hear about the various projects you guys have unfolded in the last uh, few weeks even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like there's something new going on every, every week. Yeah. Just a lot of opportunities to, uh, you know, incorporate technology, um, you know, in, in research and, um, you know, and just various partnerships that we're engaging in. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy time, but a really exciting time, I think for wearable technology, just in general. Absolutely. One of, one of the, one of the interests I have, I'm curious even to write off, uh, I, I saw that, uh, you're arming, uh, Penn state, uh, uh, residents with, uh, with your wearable technology in the hopes of improving performance and reducing burnout. Yeah, I think this is an area where we have the ability to, um, I think, gain significant traction and and just helping really understand what and appreciate what the the level of burnout actually is among these among these groups and and because I think we you know all of the previous research is is basically done um, via subjective questionnaires so to actually have some physiological insight into um, what these trends look like within this population, I think is, um, is, is going to be quite powerful. So we have not only this, um, study ramping at Penn Hershey, but we also have, um, a 500 person study, uh, launching, uh, at Cleveland clinic. Uh, and we're looking at, uh, uh, healthcare frontline workers, um, and you know if, if the physiology of, of these folks and, and then alongside, you know, looking at, um, you know, if anyone, comes down with COVID. So just kind of looking at, at these markers uh, in this kind of really unique time, uh, I think is going to be quite epic. Um, yes. Um, sorry, the, the background. Sorry, I have some background noise. Kristen, can you take a step back? And because I know Ron knows everything about what's what's the physiologic measures you're using. So is this something more than than uh, HRV, or is it? You know, tell tell me what 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 what's yeah. The, so the that? the markers we track, we're we're looking at. Uh, re- we measure resting heart rate and and heart rate variability. Um, we're sampling obviously twenty four seven at at fifty two hertz. 
Um, but uh, but we, we measure it during slave sleep uh, to give us uh, an understanding of uh, a snapshot for our users to understand their next day capacity. So when they wake up in the morning, um, they receive a recovery score on a scale of zero to 100, which gives them just a sense of what their adaptive capacity is, is that day. Um, so it's uh, the what goes into that recovery algorithm is resting is resting heart rate, slow sleep, as I meant, oh, sorry, um, heart rate variability, as I mentioned. Uh, and then um, we also look at respiratory rate. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, and we look at your sleep performance. Got it. So okay. just yeah, yeah. sense, okay. yeah. So those sure. those four inputs. Yeah. Have you considered offering half or or a, or some percentage of those of those two uh, research cohorts that same data without actually measuring it, just telling them they're doing well or not? I mean, because otherwise, you know, you know, if you give somebody input that they're doing well or not, they're going to feel well or not. I mean, that's well shown. And that's, so are you offering some of the folks a sham control or something to, to say that it's more than just wearing a very nice looking strap and getting app feedback that they're slept well or heart rate's good? Because otherwise, I think you're just going to be measuring subjective data. I mean, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. I think it's lovely that you're doing this and I, and I get HRV. I love it. I believe it works. But as a scientist, that isn't really much of a controlled study that, that you're talking about. And, and again, I'm being a little devil advocate with you just to give some input. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. Um, yeah, we do actually have, we do have blind app functionality. We just built that. So we do yeah. have, and we have done studies in the past where we have a control group who does not see any data, does not have exposure to the data. Um, and, and, and that has been really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, we do see that the folks who have access to their data make uh, more meaningful changes statistically than our, our, our control who don't see uh, the data and don't get that feedback. So there, there is that, um, but they improve as, as well. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think that is the exposure to the data does create some behavior change. And there is, I think, a psychological component to right. kind of recognizing you, oh, yeah. you seeing the data sure. and looking that you, you know, you slept well and, and you've got yeah, a higher yeah. recovery and that's going to have, you know, that's going to have a perception that said, I, I will say over time, um, you know, you, that psychological boost only lasts so long before like the physiology actually, like the sure. biology actually takes over and you realize, okay, yeah, I, I wake up. I don't, I, I, um, you know, whoop says I'm, under recovered. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I try to talk myself into a better future, but before long I realized, okay, I'm actually not in, in that great a spot. So I think, you know, I, I, I think the, the feedback aside, um, I think we're going to be monitoring internal components that mm -hmm. it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what your perception is. Yeah. We're going to have a raw heart rate variability. We're going to have all the raw data of heart rate variability. We're going to have you know, all of the heart rate data, like, you know, so it's, it's, um, we're still yeah. going to be able to evaluate changes in these group, um, I, uh, that I think so you're going to capture the actual physiologic measures and no matter how they say they feel or they feel, you know, oh, it's irrelevant. Okay. Right. That doesn't although, influence our algorithms at right. all. Although yeah. I will, uh, our, yeah. Yeah. if you really, really want to demonstrate what you're saying, you have to do more than just give them no data. You have to give them a sham control where you're either, even if they're physiologically better, you tell them they're not, or even if they're flatline, you tell them they are better. I mean, that is huge. 
It's been shown across every physiologic study. If you don't offer that, then you're even losing some of the bump that people will get because even if they're, if they're flatline and you see they're doing better, um, they're going to stay engaged and, and even just changing the input you give them. Because otherwise, if every, like if Tom Brady is perfect every morning, all right, on his whoop, right? And he's better than human every day, right? Like, right. At some point, he's like, yeah, I'm just Tom Brady. But if you kind of, you know, goose him a little bit, that he's a little under in his case, he'll actually work hard to get better, perhaps. I don't know if that's true, but, but you actually want to vary the input because if every day your hair looks perfect, like our beloved president, then he's not going to do anything different for his image. He's going to keep doing it. But if someone says your hair is a little off, then he's going to spend 70K and get a, an upgraded haircut. So, so you'd need to manipulate the psychology of this. I mean, this is so, impression 101. When, uh, when yeah, well, I, I think uh, if I can just uh, expand yeah. on actually the study synopsis, because, um, you know, we, it was put together by principal investigators who have been in medical uh, mm -hmm. research for a very long time. So the, the study design is, is extraordinarily tight. And really the primary objective is really to track the sleep habits of these caregiver workers, mm -hmm. um, you know, during this kind of really unique time. Um, so it's really just about establishing, you know, baseline sleep data and comparing sleep parameters um, of providers, you know, working in this COVID uh, uh, parameters, working in COVID positive versus non-COVID environments and identifying um, the sleep differences associated with those assignments. So, and we're also providing, you know, objective sleep metrics as measured, you know, obviously by the device, but then also doing self-reported sleep measures of, of sleep, stress, burnout, and then assessing these changes over a six month period um, as we progress through the phases of, the, of, the, of this pandemic. Um, and then their secondary objective is to evaluate kind of whether these changes in um, kind of heart rate taking during sleep, so nocturnal heart rate, heart rate variability um, and respiratory rate may provide you know, early indications of, of COVID-19 um, infection in, in these patients. So it, it, the study design is, is quite meticulous, actually, and um, have a lot of confidence that we're going to learn something that we, we um, that has never really been studied. So, yeah. And when working with an organization um, and your high performers, I've seen, you know, you can peg them on grade point average, you can have a bench press, uh, what's their... How many squats, you know, can they do in X, Y, Z? Uh, and now, and everybody cuts corners on sleep, food, and, you know, and now we finally have uh, a way. And, and, you know, some people are in the mindful world are apprehensive of competing, but there really isn't, uh, I don't have a concern about a team playfully competing on the recovery scores uh, and, and drawing their attention. So, and when I counsel people, I have them, you know, th these devices can be precise. Maybe the accuracy, we don't know, but you're going to compare it to yourself. And so for behavioral change, but yes, you're looking at huge randomized trials and I'm talking about uh, culture shift on the organization. But Dave, you're going to say something? Well, well I say, um, you brought up playful. All right. And, 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 you know, one thing that we try to emphasize here is the integration of things like creativity and off time. And, you know, I, as, as someone who, who works in a mildly stressful environment that has lots of COVID in it, you know, not being in that environment is vital, but just, do, you know, vegging during that time might be helpful to some folks. On the other hand, actually pushing yourself and your creativity limits and 
you know, and doing things which are off target are just as important. Are those things you're going to emphasize or look at as well? You know, or do you in, in terms of, you know, things other than, you know, sleep and heart rate is, is cool. But what about some of the, the colorful things in folks' lives in terms of what they're doing in their off time or, or uh, you know, or aren't doing? Are those elements you've looked at in the past, Kristen? Yeah, definitely. That is such a great question. And um, is that, sorry, is the background noise? Is no, okay? no, it's only bothering you. That's part of the stressful. No, we don't okay. hear it. We don't okay, hear perfect, it. perfect. Um, yeah, so no, I, I think that it's such a, a great question and, and one that I think about a ton. And just in my observations um, of folks who are, are frankly in really stressful environments. So I, I work a lot with tactical athletes, um, you know, with, with healthcare providers, um, surgical teams and, um, and, and professional athletes. And, you know, they're, you know, when they're engaged in their craft, um, it, it often is, is, is quite stress, stressful, um, but they're doing what they love. Right. So there's that element of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of joy and fulfillment, um, in, in their work. Um, but, but you're right, Dave, I think, you know, it's, it's that downtime and what you're doing in your downtime that enables you to, uh, that will determine how you re-engage your craft. So, you know, what am I doing in my downtime? Cause, cause really that's when you're in these high stakes environments, environments, that's kind of your competitive advantage. So am I spending my downtime, you know, engaging in, you know, in art and, and, am I, you know, uh, cooking, you know, what, what am I actually doing in my downtime? That's, um, providing me a, a moment of rest, right? Cause if we're in a constant activated state, as you guys know better than anyone, that isn't good for my long-term kind of health and wellness and my ability to access my creativity and, and all these other things. So finding ways to deactivate, deactivate in your downtime and, and finding, you know, activities that are truly pleasurable, um, uh, and, and kind of provide that outlet for deactivation yeah. is, is really, is really important. And, and I don't know the app well enough. I apologize for that, but, but, but yeah. is it the type of thing that where, you know, when you are, listening to music or creating art or gardening, can it give you, you know, feedback that you did something during this period of time recharged you and, and the person is able to say, Oh, I get it. And, and, and excuse me for not knowing it that well, but no, but it's okay. Yeah. Uh, we, we track behaviors. We track 80 different types of behaviors that span everything that we're kind of talking about. So you can track, you can start to see over time as you accumulate more and more data. Um, and you can start to see potential correlations between, um, a certain behavior and how that impacts the, the objective measures that we're tracking. So you can start to see, okay, when I engage in mindfulness, um, I have a 20% increase in, in next day recovery, for example. Um, so we, we do try to help our users understand how certain our members, how certain behaviors influence um, the metrics that we're tracking. The other thing, you know, we're able to look at, oh, when you, uh, when you don't have food two hours prior to bedtime, you spend 6% more time in deeper stages of sleep. You know, these are some real yeah. fundamental, so you can yeah, yeah. start to see, um, you know, what is helpful in terms of augmenting, you know, that, that the, the kind of, or enabling that the, the recovery, um, to happen, um, and, and what might be contributing and what is detracting, you know, um, you also track that. Especially if it's point of service or point of activity, so it isn't a week later or, or you know, you know, uh, a year later, and you get you read a study and you hear, well, you know, but rather it's you know you've done something 
you probably feel better inside, but but then you get the the feedback slash reinforcement yeah. that my metrics are better too, and that that's oh. really powerful. But Dave, I just yeah. had a I just had a case mid twenty year old one of your colleagues sent me with uh, mm -hmm. problems with aggression, and, and he's fortunate enough to have a, a caregiver that's uh, very engaged, and they were able to have the resources to get uh, the a band and uh additionally an hrv biofeedback and oh nice and uh he was triggered and he gets very aggressive but when he's calm he's this kind-hearted person and he recognizes and so we just we now call it the tasmanian devil and when the tasmanian devil gets triggered um she and i have these uh snapshots uh of his heart rate going at real time and so using uh, the breathing techniques uh, and opening up the app and watching his heart rate go up. And then he's able to control it right. to make his heart rate go down. There's this, and, and one of the definitions of mindfulness is moment to moment awareness without judgment. And that's it exemplified. He's looking at his own heart rate. He's not judging himself as good or bad anymore. He just knows he can get it down with the breathing techniques. Uh, and yes, he opened up the app real time and now it's not him. He's not a bad guy. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, it worked beautifully in this case. Um, and he's starting to build on that. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and, 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 you know, the, 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 the whole concept that, that you're able to take that information, as you say, without judging it and just say, look, you know, this is how you're feeling. This is what we're seeing. And, you know, it's not bad to have a fast heart rate or maybe it's not bad to not sleep well the night before. In some cases, you know, that might be too far. But but then to kind of say, you know, what? I, I also recall when I did sleep well. And I think that's that's really vital. We were talking. I was at a talk yesterday. I think you were too about diet and stuff. And people say, you know, it's not about that. You, you know, you, you feel special because you happen to eat well that day or, or you didn't go to some fast food place. But rather, it's how you feel the next day. And, it, and it's connecting the fact that I don't feel stressed, even though my patients have got COVID or that, you know, whatever it is, you know, you know that, 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 that my life is, isn't going perfectly, but I feel good inside. But I, I do think people need the extra bit of that feedback. It really, it's, I, and again, it's not crazy. It's fantastic. And it's great for whoop that people actually need more than just, you know, I feel good. You know, I'm breathing well, I'm, I, I feel good inside and that's good, but they also need the validation uh, which goes back to your, your study thing is like, I think people are going to really benefit when they say, not only do I feel good, but you know, I'm, I'm earning, you know, health points or something, you know, which is another thing. If you give them a little gift card for, uh, you know, for some health place afterwards, if they do well in this, then they're going to do even better. People love, you know, getting that kind of validation. So it's amazing stuff. Well, hey, what's the downside toward people wearing this device? You know, I, I don't know though. I don't know of one, but I'm like, like all we hear is great things, right? This is like, you know, you know, Dr. Garbo thinks it's amazing. I've read about it. NCAA's into it, you know, the NBA. Well, you know, what what's so so why shouldn't people be and I'm not I'm not just feeding you a, a marketing thing. Like like there's, yeah. there's you know, well, what kind of people don't do well with this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question. I, I guess I start off by saying that I think it's really hard to make fundamental changes without understanding objectively what actually is happening with your body, right? So, you know, I, I come from a place where, you know, I really want to understand 
how my body is trending and, and, and I don't want to guess, right? Like I want to, I know heart rate variability, for example, is, is one of the best estimators of physical and mental wellness. So if I have, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm trending really low and, you know, I want to be able to uncover why that is so I can change the course of my situation, not six months, you know, down the road, but like tomorrow, you know? So I, I think in, in being able to understand, you know, the actual behaviors and how they influence me internally is, is just, I think it's just really core, but I think it can create anxiety. Um, you know, I think there's been a fair amount of research around, you know, yeah, wearables yeah. that, you know, when you're seeing you're not sleeping well, for example, it kind yeah. of like makes you more anxious. But I, I, I think my response to that is that, you know, it's, it's, information is power, right? So, you know, if you can understand, for example, you know, we know that insufficient low quality sleep is the root cause to pretty much all mortality, right? So, and then there's a mountain of evidence, I think, to support that statement. So, you know, I think we're in a, in a, at a spot where if you don't understand your sleep architecture, you're missing a massive opportunity, right? Um, You know, because if you can get into ranges that we know help buffer you know, disease, you know, kind of insulate you from, you know, some of these, uh, you know, metabolic issues. And, you know, we just understand there's a correlation to all that. So if, if you can understand your sleep architecture and understand, you know, what range you're in, and if it's not good, that gives you a platform to then ask the right questions and get some help. So I, I feel like, you know, the truth is empowering and, um, and if framed correctly for folks, it, you know, can, yeah, it might be a little bit of anxiety, but anxiety actually should prompt action, right? So anxiety at, at its core isn't a bad thing. It's telling you, all right, I need to take action. And I think this information can be the basis for taking action. So, yeah, and I'd add to that or, you know, when a performance coach, so the way I'd answer it to you, Dave, is, too much data, bad data. Those are the those are the risks. And uh, for for performance coaches out there, uh, and and Dave in our world, as you know, it's all about what we call active treatments. Is it? And the passive treatments are there to support the active treatments. So, so if this performance coach is the owner of the data, and is the manipulator of the data, and telling you the athlete or the performer can become passive to that expert. And so push yourselves to keep giving it away. Each time you want to be that expert and keeper of the data. Uh, And that's why it's, for me, I keep it extraordinarily simple. How many hours of sleep? How much deep sleep? What's your weekly trend on your HRV? And not I actually encourage people not to look too much at their daily because we can power, if we're healthy, we totally. can power through. But we know fibromyalgia, they have blunted responses to stress. So they've had protracted period. Uh, but, but so if you're a performance coach, keep giving it away, but keep it simple. And, and, and those are the, the real parameters for me. Number of hours, number, amount of deep sleep, and, and your weekly uh, nocturnal HRV for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And sleep consistency. Don't forget when you go to bed, when you wake up is probably the most important behavior you can adopt to, you know, stabilize. Basically that sets off every other clock inside, inside your body and, and, and gets you on a good path. 
And when I'm dealing with uh, you know another case of of a of a young lady having to move back home, and there's some conflict, um, and one of the things is 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 the boundary of a sleep sanctuary, and uh, at some point you know we created a conversation that it is it is okay it's it's your mother's home to investigate your bedroom uh, for drugs, uh, but on the other hand. Uh, if you can't handle the arguing anymore and she's struggling to hold the, the sleep sanctuary boundary, we call it, is you use the breathing to calm yourself down and you hold the boundary that the bedroom is not a place for arguing, that, 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 that she is not allowed to bring in that argument into the bedroom. She can only come into the bedroom with love. Uh, and, and so... So that is the first place we teach people to hold a boundary. And, and, and at the same time is that, that sleep, the bedroom is only for uh, peace or love. It's a, that sounds like a Beatles okay. song, man. That's awesome. I that's know, cool. I know. Yeah, no, I, I, actually, I think, I think that is, isn't, didn't John Lennon have that song where he sang in bed? Well, if, if I can shift to, just as I because we haven't talked about uh, another segment of the population that that absolutely would be, could benefit from this. And, and, and it may be an app-related thing as well. Is, you know, we talked about how sleep is a, is a prime mover for a lot of illness, uh, including death, you, you mentioned. And those are, those are, that's a terrible thing, right? You know, uh, you know for sure. But, but Final outcome. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, a, it's a black and white. I like that. But a massive population, this could potentially help. But, but then we get back to what do you do with the data and the app is, is those individuals that are on cognitive decline. Uh, whether whether it's a transient cognitive decline because of a medical because of COVID, you know, or because of some medical issue, what's called a delirium, but more importantly, those that are beginning to get dementia, which is right now a sixth of the U.S. population, but is much larger and is going to get bigger and bigger. But that's a, a group that not only could this, when combined with interventions like creativity, like good healthcare, right, like normalizing sleep wake, uh, I get that, but. But so, so that's a population that I'm sure you're interested in, um, um, you know, for this product and for what you do. Um, but I haven't seen much on it. But also it's a it's a population that giving them these data or the, using this app might be more and more challenging because it's just, you know, again, no matter how, you know, it's formatted now, it may not offer them um, uh, focused information and, 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 you know, and, and is it linked with, again, their treatment so that they can understand that? And I don't know if you've explored that group, either those that are beginning to decline, you know, whether on some kind of a formal test or even on the, on your, your application, they're noticing that, you know, the mom isn't doing as she should. So are the, is, and it's not as sexy and as exciting as Penn state students or as doctors, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a prime population in my world. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly sexy, actually, um, in, in the sense that I, I think any time where I think we're where this can be really helpful. And there's been there was a recent study uh, and I, I can dig it up, but um, I think it just came out in September, actually, that showed um, that, you know, sleep and quality sleep or insufficient sleep. Um, might actually be the precursor that, um, you know, kind of uh, basically puts individuals in a, in a spot. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. It, it came out in Lancet in September by Livingston. It's amazing. It's stuff. such an incredible article. But I think it, what it does is it, 
I think it puts the power into the, in the individual in the sense that you can actually control, like it's, it's a modifiable sleep is modifiable, right? And and there are some of these, there are modifiable things that you can do to basically help you, um, you know, potentially mitigate the, the onset of, of cognitive decline. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and maybe even prevent Alzheimer's. Right. And, we did a study where we're doing research with, with Will uh, Cornell, um, with Dr. Richard, Richard Isaacson. And we, we published, um, last November, uh, November, 2019, a paper in, um, the journal of, uh, Alzheimer's disease and prevention that, um, basically looked at, I think six, 63 individuals. And we're, we're basically just looking at, you know, these folks in the wild, you know, we were measuring it via whoop and they had all sorts of other measures that, um, were also incorporated in the study. But, um, you know, what we saw, which we kind of know is that, you know, individuals who had this amyloid protein buildup um, also experienced a lot less REM. So, you know, the the inner intervention is oh, how do we how do we figure out how to get these folks in 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 deeper stages of sleep? Sorry, right. So, yeah. so so if this ends up explanation ends up being true, you know, the head is an enclosed space, and when you lay down, your heart rate is supposed to go down and your mm-hmm. diaphragmatic movements to increase the blood recedes from this enclosed space and creates room for uh, CSF. The biggest mover of CSF is the diaphragm. So there may be this flushing of tau or Which is a muscle and we can, we can control it. Yes. Every every physical therapist out there, you should be a diaphragm muscle expert. I'm so happy that we got that out. That's like so important. The diaphragm is the muscle and it is, if you're in San Francisco, it's the hack. If, if, or it's the, you know, it's the wedge into the autonomic nervous system. Yep. But if you have these huge and strong diaphragmatic excursion, you may be flushing the brain. So fine, put your energy into medications, put your energy into probes into the brain, put your energy into those things. But unless you're regularly routining flushing your brain, there's an upper limit of benefit these other treatments can have. It's just like the fuel you put in your body, sleep, a strong diaphragm exercise, uh, resonant breathing, the coordination of the diaphragm, and then the fuel you take. Those are the three biggies. Yeah, I don't think you guys know that, but October 1st is actually Diaphragm Appreciation Day. (laughs) It is not. Yes, oh it, my it, gosh! It, it's also I, it's also Grandparents' Day and Eat a Donut Day. No, wow. Okay. I wanted to add for this study because I think again it it yeah. goes back to this point of using technology to foster um, health and and also as a a tool to prevent right disease. What we saw in this group and we had a a, a cohort who. Um, who did not have access to data, a cohort who had access to data. And um, we saw both cohorts improved, um, but the group that had access to their data showed um, significant improvements in both um, sleep quality and duration, as well as exercise intensity um, and duration. So again, access to this data did motivate behaviors and put these folks in a position to um, you know, be healthier. So and maybe if, if they breathe before they go to bed, that can improve that coordination. And, and on your little phone, you make a flower bloom uh, when you're coordinated, you know, that too could promote it. And we, we're actually doing a study with Stanford University right now um, on exactly this. Um, sorry, Dave, I didn't mean. I no, think no, 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 bring it up. No, well, 
Good, good, good. Oh, it just is on the topic of, of breath work and, and understanding actually how transformative um, controlling your breath and different types of breathing can have um, on your just overall health and wellness. But what we're trying to understand or create kind of this taxonomy of, of these different types of breathing protocols um, and how they influence your sleep architecture. So looking at, um, you know, four different types of, of diaphragmic breathing and what that influence is on the subject's um, quality of sleep. Obviously, there's a lot of confounding variables that that can influence that, but um, it's uh, we're doc, uh, uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman is the is the principal investigator on the study. He's a neuroscientist out of out of Stanford, and um, so we're really excited. We're in the analysis phase right now, but there isn't enough education or understanding of you know what these different types of diaphragmic uh, you know breathing protocols can and, and the influence that they can have on um, really core like fundamental behaviors like sleep. Yeah, well, there's there's two there's two points I just want to want to throw out there again, and w- one of those is is I'm interested in, when you talked about the Wild Cornell study and, and what you're doing out there with it is is you know that original that research from Livingston from 2020, which was actually just an update of his work, which is amazing from 2017, also in Lancet, which is a must read. But nice. w- while sleep is always high on the list. What isn't on their list, if you, if you look at it more closely, is they don't know how much sleep makes a difference. They don't know what element of sleep. Whereas for hypertension, for diet, for other things, they've actually nailed down saying, here is what's, but, but, but we don't know how to, and, and this, is a, this is a teaser for what you guys could easily you know, come up with this, is you know, at what point is it you know, maladaptive and it actually leads to the dementia. We don't know. Is it seven hours? You know, that's just a made-up number, which sounds good. Six to eight. And that's it's not helpful for everyone. No, I and and so right because of that, really defining it for each individual, yeah. and then demonstrating that that is the a a a, a ma- massive indicator of of dementia risk or dementia improvement. You know, cognitive improvement because dementia can be improved actually, and by changing. But finding that 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 point and putting it into your formula and into your app, you know, yeah. and, and then and it is. Just, I can tell you exactly how much sleep I need to get. That is my hundred. That is my absolute sweet spot. Well, but then we need to follow you for thirty years and watch you dement because so, so the, the key is what is for those people right on that edge. So the, the, you know what is that number? And maybe the same number. For, you know, maybe. But, yeah, but but people don't know that. And Livingston comments on that. I just want to throw that home. That, that's yeah. very important. But the other thing again is knowledge translation, because diaphragmatic breathing is not a phrase that most Americans will ever understand. Or they they will not. All right. And I don't mean to yeah. insult them. I this is I live in this no, world. That's the reality. Yeah, no, I know. And and yeah. so the idea that when they're playing guitar or painting or taking a walk in nature, that something is different about, or they're laying in bed and, and meditating something is different needs to be somehow explained outside of that phrase or, or outside of, uh, yeah, or, or a guy, you know, with a really cool, deep voice kind of, you know, you know, Barry whiting them to sleep. Yeah. That, but, but what, you know, how can you capture that? Because people don't understand what, what you're talking about or what I'm talking about. And I, you know, that's, that's my fault, not there. So how can we change how we express it? Ron to you, I see you're eager to, <laughs> Yeah, if I may, I'm proud to say yeah, uh, my colleagues, uh, Dr. Birch and Dr. Ginsburg, in just uh, a few weeks from now, will be presenting the largest randomized controlled trial for chronic pain with 
uh, resonant breathing. And if I may add a yet another data point, and the way I would explain it is um, your parasympathetic peak. When is your blood pressure, your respiratory rate, your HIV, and your heart rate, when are they in the most sync? And that may be your, for lack, for a colloquial term, it's your parasympathetic peak. And when would that be? That would be in deep sleep. So this most synchronized moment, and we're going to, we, we offer yet another data point we call the co coherent and offer up the coherence ratio. And we'll show that with the training uh, that uh, you can, with your diaphragm, get in this most physiologically coordinated, coherent parasympathetic state. And then the next study would be, you know, we've already shown that the breathing during the daytime improves this coordination at night. And then you know, we measure that randomized. I think we need a phrase like, I mean, the dude. I mean, you get, I mean, you know, the, the, the parasympathetic peak is way more complex than coherence. You know, I, I, I sadly, I understand what you're saying exactly. And I think I just peaked five minutes ago. But, but, but what we, but we have got to, we have got to speak. Your recovery peak. How about that? We're getting there, but we got to speak in words and in phrases. And, you know, and that's what I'm hoping that this kind of a, you know, wearable biometric and then a real-time point of service, you know, app application can give to the person. You know, I, I think I did ask Ron at one point, is there a green light or some kind of loving sound that comes out of Whoop when you're at the point, you know, because that's, you know, we have, you know, it's not dumbing it down. It's, it's, our lives are complex. If I have to learn a new way of speaking and a new language, to, to feel better. I don't know that I'm, I might do it, but I know that most people are going to do it. And, you know, they really want to feel better and, 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 and know that they're feeling better and get that positive reinforcement. So, you know, for this cognitively challenged population that we're talking about, whether they used to be NCAA athletes who have gone on to dementia or where, whoever they're, they, they, they really need something that's, that, that, that's, that they can grasp somewhat easily and, and get empowered. And, and the, the sausage making behind it about the diaphragmatic breathing and the, the parasympathetic peak is important to understand. I'm glad people are doing this research, but, but the everyday person, they're like, I want to, you know, I, I need to understand wh why should I keep gardening? You know, like, well, A, it feels good and the plants look nice, but also you're getting this nice vibrating hum and this lovely sound of, of angel singing when you're doing it well, you know, in, in some way. So just, just, as I, 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 you know, I know we're in the research phase and we're in the gathering stuff, but, you know, and Ron can deliver it one-on-one -on -one to his patients very well. Scaling. Right. Scaling. Sc I mean, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's, that's definitely where the opportunity is, is, you know, how do we, Dave, everything that you're saying and in, in terms of how do we make it actionable, you know, and being a coach for 17 years, like this is basically my, yeah. you know, I, I only, I, you have, if you, if, if the data you're collecting is not actionable, it's just meaningless. Right. And if the people who are, you're trying to get, you know, to, to motivate behavior and change, if they don't understand what you're talking about, like you're, you're just, you're, you're not being helpful. Right. So it's a, you know, from a product standpoint, it's how do we make this as simple and helpful for folks as possible and actually get at the behaviors that we know are so fundamental and core right. to overall health and wellness. And, you know, I think when we, you know, when I think about the breathing protocols that, I mean, I'm so passionate about this area, you know, which is why, 
you know, I, I sought to, to collaborate with researchers on it to, to better understand it so we can build um, it into our product, you know, to, you know, so we can tell pe- folks, hey, you know, you're building strain really quickly. Okay, strain is basically a measure of cardiovascular load. And we're, you know, sampling this uh, in real time and giving folks feedback on how they're building strain throughout the day. But being able to, hey, you're building it relative to your baseline and relative to your capacity, you're building strain really quickly. Here's a quick breathing protocol that can buffer that stress and get you in a, in a spot where you, you activate the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. And again, put you in a, in a spot where you're not accumulating negative stress, right? Which is going to influence your sleep architecture and all of that. So and we don't necessarily have to say all that, but we can just give them the intervention in real time. Um, so they don't get in a spot where they're kind of overreaching in a, in a non-functional way. Right. Um, so I think that's the opportunity that kind of exists here. No, I, I, you know, I, 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 I do think that Ron wants to say something very importantly, but, but uh, I, you know, we, we've talked before in this podcast about trying to put this into a box, you know, a, a, a box that you get once a week, once a quarter, once a year, whatever is that, that kind of, you know, really is, is your performance peak or your parasympathetic peak or your peak parasympathetic performance, whatever you want to, you know, so, so that they can kind of say, oh, it's time for me to use you know, th- these tools that I'm getting because tools and, and you may have, again, tools on the app. I mean, I've, we've created some yeah. concussion apps and, and people like them as little gimmicks. But, but 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 you know, the key is how do I keep getting them to go back to the app? Because unless the app is evolving with them and is growing in, in complexity and creativity as they get better or, or yeah. if they have a bad day, the app is able you're able to kind of say, you know, you're in your A frame, you know, your A level, very basic badness. How do I kind of quickly juice that up so I'm feeling a little bit better? But the goal is to get them to a Z where they're actually doing ongoing creativity, not because they're feeling stressed, because that's actually what, that's their life and it's built into that. And so how do I send them something? And again, your app may send it to them, but- it, man, it, That's we, exactly, you're describing exactly what Whoop does. <laughs> But many people are more tactile um, and, and need more than just, you know, not more than they need in addition to this to complement it. They really need that. And so, again, I'm, I'm hoping the app says, hey, go out and breathe the fresh air and, you know, and, and you know, and, and or go out and build something out of wood yep. and make some stuff. So good. I'm glad I'm promoing the app. I didn't mean to, but, but those yeah. key elements to it. So, yep. And we have, you know, we have inside the, the app, we have a sleep coach, um, you know, which basically kind of delivers a lot of the information that, that um, we've been talking about that help you get into these deeper stages of sleep and promote rejuvenation recovery with the sleep coach tells you when you need to go to bed and when you need to wake up based on, you know, what is optimal for you. So for me, you know, I need to spend, you know, seven hours and 42 minutes in bed in order to like optimize my, my deeper stages of sleep. So that's like the time frame that I need to spend in bed. So we talk about the sweep spot that's going to prevent cognitive and physical decline. And I can say that, you know, over the last four years, my heart rate variability um, has improved by 30 milliseconds. I mean, that's kind of proof I think is in the pudding potentially that, you know, I'm adopting behaviors that are helping me and the app is prompting behaviors that are continually pushing me in a position, in a, in a, in a, in a direction that is improving my mental and physical capacity. So, and we have a strain coach that helps you with cardiovascular load. So understanding in real time, how to, how to, you know, really, um, 
position yourself so you're not um, so your your capacity and your um, load are you know running in in sync depending on what your goals are. There's times where if you want to get fitter, for example, you want to stretch your capacity, um, your your load relative to your capacity, right? So we kind of help you again find what that sweet spot is depending on your goals. And then the third piece is really the recovery coach, which is we're actively building, which is going to say you know things like. Um, you know, give you recommendations on how you can um, increase your parasympathetic tone, for example. Um, so we're kind of getting into that third piece. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's really what we're aiming to do, Dave, is exactly what you describe is, is kind of give you this real-time feedback on how you can, um, you know, improve your situation and, and kind of keep growing and, and learning based on, you know, how you're adapting or not adapting to um, your, you know, environmental uh, stressors. And for those who, who deal with high performers, whether they're burning out or they've had several concussions, and, and the, here's one of the, the, the corollaries when I deal with a high performer is they have succeeded by trying harder. And now they've hit a new upper limit where trying harder is not working. So I fundamentally, and they always remember the flow state. And they want to get back to the flow state. My assumption is you already know how to shoot free throws. I can't give you a lot of tips on free throw shooting or this or that. But, but so you, so the coaches out there need to change the target from trying harder to, to recovery. If they are intentional about the recovery and understand recovery and understand maybe one to three metrics longitudinally, they can focus on recovery or parasympathetic health is a term I want to try and introduce. If, if you change the target from trying to reach flow, which is low is high co-engagement of both levers. You, what you really want is a high parasympathetic lever and let go of the sympathetic, let go of trying harder and focus in on recovery. And I, Yet, when somebody improves their recovery, they naturally flow into flow, if I may. Yeah. Um, and so you have to, and that's what the first sessions are, is, is really battling to, 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 to convince them to not focus in on flow. That will happen if we focus in on recovery. And, and, and that's why these tools are fantastic. Yeah, but, but although before we close up, all right, before we end, there's an elephant in the room that we have to talk about. Okay, why is it called Whoop? That's 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 it's in my head. Why? Where did the name come from? It's a is it like like the New Orleans Saints or that that's Whoop Day? It is. What is what does Whoop mean? Um, our the founder and CEO uh, of Whoop, Will Ahmed, uh, played squash at Harvard, and uh, this was Whoop was just kind of an endearing term that they used in the locker room to kind of describe their energy levels. So uh, that's that's kind of um, where it came from. So a Harvard squash player was like, "Whoop! I'm full of energy." That that's where it came from. Yeah, I think. Well, that the Harvard squash team that was yeah just one of are they, their. Are they good? Uh, Terms. Is Harvard, is Harvard yeah, they're, yeah, they're very good. Yeah. Really? I mean, there aren't a lot of squash teams, right? No, so kidding. Wonder why. Oh, that's all right. That's cool. So no, it isn't like the cool. air coming out of the dire from woof. It's not the, it's not the glymphatic, glymphatic drainage of the brain. Woof. But, but really what, 
what Ron, you know, is describing in terms of flow state. I mean, that's really yeah. what what Whoop is trying to wrestle to the ground and has been the subject of, of my research for the last 17 years is being able to kind of, uh, you know, take the guesswork out of performance, right? So how do we achieve consistent levels of performance and how can we leverage technology to, to help us understand when we, what the behaviors are that we need to be engaging in that are going to enable us to peak when we want to peak, right? And there's no coincidence that, you know, we won 12 Ivy League championships in 13 years is because I understand the science behind peaking and flow states, right? It's not something we, we have enough evidence to understand how to get there, right? It's just a matter of discipline and effort and, and focusing your attention. Um, cause it's, it's the lifestyle factors, um, outside of the time that you're training. Cause to Ron's point, like when you're at the tip of the spear, all of, you know, your free throw shot and, you know, and all of the technical and tactical aspects of your craft are all good at, at that level, right? The difference maker is how you're spending the time away from your training that are going to enable you to leverage your genetics and your talents and your expertise, right? Cause there's only, there's three factors, human performance to be clear, genetics, talent, and your lifestyle factors. And the, the folks at the tip of the spear, their opportunity for performance coaches out there, um, having done this for 17 years and working with the best tactical and professional athletes in the world, I can tell you that it's the performance lifestyle, how you eat, how you drink, how you hydrate, how you buffer stress and rest. That is the competitive advantage. Thank you. And thank you for Ooh. using the verb. Ooh. There it is. There it is. There it is. And thank you for using the verb wrestle, uh, which I appreciate. Thank I noticed that. Much. And I'll just leave you with, Flush your toilet during the day, but flush your brain at night. Nice. Oh, I love that. That's the mic. I don't think that's going to be a, that's going to be a marketing hit. Just going to throw it out there. <laughs> I, if you have the tidy bowl man on your app, then maybe. And you know, it's time to flush. No, I okay. love that. No, yeah. but you flush in the brain. Yeah, yeah. it's a skill, right? It's a skill we can it's develop. Learn skill. It's a learned skill. It's a learned skill, and yeah, that's what folks have to recognize. There's an opportunity there. So, so thank you. May I, yeah. one last comment from me. I got to teach a boundary. I, you need to learn a skill and then a little secret sauce in my uh, uh, clinic. The boundary is energy is finite and the whoop band is one of tool, many tools coming out to teach people that energy is bounded. The skill is that diaphragm coordination, uh, which is, I believe the best HRV biofeedback is the absolute best breathing technique. And then uh, uh, dualism is dynamic, two independent levers. And those are, energy is finite, emotions are tools, uh, dualism is dynamic. If it's gray, flush away. That's all I got out of this. That gray matter, baby, gotta do it. And I'll let, I, I'll let Ron and Kristen finish it off because that's all I got. That's good. I love it. Well, Kristen, you get the last word. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much for being a guest. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I always just try to remind folks that, you know, sleep behavior, it's its the most important behavioral experience we have as humans. And, um, I, you know, I, figuring that out is, is really, uh, I think, the foundation, the place to start. Because uh, if you don't have that right, you're just um, layering inefficiency on top of inefficiency. So, you know, get that right. Use all the resources and, and tools you can to ensure that, you know, you're getting sufficient quality sleep. And honestly, the, the rest is, is, is going gonna, is gonna to be a lot easier.
Thank you to Kristen Holmes for joining Dr. G and Dr. C today on the Abstract Doctors Podcast. For more information on Kristen, please visit whoop.com. The Abstract Doctors is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information on podcasts, events, and subscription boxes, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors and The Abstract Athlete. The office is now closed, but join us for our next appointment when Dr. G and Dr. C talk about mental wellness, creativity, and HRV in a time of COVID.